This is Anthems. Hi, my name is Mohsin Zedi. I'm an author and a criminal barrister. Your word of the day is fear. It's a dark choice, perhaps, but bear with me as I take you through a short tale of the beauty one can find in a cancelled wedding, specifically my wedding. On the 23rd of March 2020, we were all ordered to stay at home. My wedding, set to take place just 10 days later, was cancelled. It sucked. I'm not ashamed to say I shed a tear. On the plus side though, I also comfort ate a lot of pizza. We were not the only couple to invest and lose hundreds of challengingly found hours and thousands of difficultly saved pounds in a special day that would not happen. Being deprived of this moment felt really difficult. I knew there were more important things to worry about, with the news talking about hospitals being overrun. I also knew that lots of other couples were going through the exact same thing we were. But we grew up in a society where it was illegal for us to marry the person we loved. And from the moment the law changed in 2013, I imagined what my wedding might look like. But I also grew up in a community where even thinking about the possibility of marrying a man felt shameful. I want to say at this point that telling people you're from a devout family can make them assume that your childhood was really strict. That's just not true. I grew up in a house full of love and my local mosque, the anchor of my childhood, was a community that supported each other. Nevertheless, after coming to terms with my sexuality in my early 20s, I resolved to stay away from my community and from my extended family. I was scared. Scared of their anger, their disappointment. But more so, scared of loving people who might reject that love once they knew the real me. And so I kept people at arm's length. People like my auntie Alina, who was not only at the centre of mosque life, but had taught me the fundamentals of our faith, including how to pray and how to read Arabic. I remember being sat next to her in Arabic classes. I'd be too embarrassed to say words I couldn't pronounce properly, and she would help me get them out. Afterwards, I'd gobble up the spinach curry she had made to reward me for my efforts during class, even when I hadn't done very well. If I'm honest, I missed her, but I was too scared of her reaction to my sexuality to do anything about it. A few months after lockdown began, The Times magazine featured an interview with me on the memoir I had written about growing up poor, gay and Muslim. Not only did they review the book, but they put me on the front cover, which was kind of mind-blowing. Next to my face were words from my book. For gays, I was too Muslim. For Muslims, I was too gay. For whites, I was too brown. For my family, I was too white. This national coverage meant that I could no longer pretend Auntie Elena didn't know I was gay. But over the years, I created such a massive distance between us that it didn't matter anymore. It was like I'd built a brick wall to protect me from rejection, a wall that helped make me feel safe. That was until, on a Tuesday afternoon, when my phone rang. It was my Auntie Elena. As the phone rang, The brick wall fell away, and with it, my sense of calm. I tied myself in knots about whether to answer. We hadn't spoken in years. What would I say? How would I explain? Would I apologise? And if so, what was I apologising for? Being gay, or 
not having the courage to tell her. To my relief, the phone stopped ringing. It was easier this way, I told myself. Less complicated, less confrontational. The notification of a missed call disappeared from my phone, and over the next few days, so too did any regret I felt at not answering. On the following Saturday, as I sat on the sofa, contemplating another weekend locked inside, my auntie Alina called again. I stared at the phone as if it were about to attack. But this time, instead of hiding, I answered the call. She is someone who changed my nappies, whose lap I had cried in, who taught me the difference between right and wrong. So much of the foundation of me was made from her, and yet I had no idea what to say, because I had transformed her into a stranger. We engaged in small talk, or more accurately, she tried to get me to talk to her. Eventually, the moment I feared arrived. There is something I want to talk to you about, Mossin. I paused and played out in my head the homophobic conversation that was about to ensue. Would I challenge the bigotry? Would I be respectful and listen? Or should I just put the phone down? Auntie Alina could instantly sense that her confident nephew, who usually had too many words rather than too few, was struggling. And like our Arabic classes all those years ago, it was as if she was sat next to me, helping me find the words I needed to say. I heard you were supposed to be getting married in April, she said. Yes, I replied. I'm sorry it was cancelled, but next time, Mosin, can you please make sure I get an invite? I was gobsmacked. Um, yes, of course, I managed to say. Okay, I'd better go, but just to say, you are my nephew. And I love you, she said. You too, I replied. And with that, the call was over. She didn't use the word gay and neither did I. And I realised it would become one of the most important phone calls I might ever receive. I felt like such an ass. I had been distracted by a fear of bigotry for so long that I had let it creep into me through the back door. In the space of a few words, I went from feeling like an outsider in my old community to being reminded that I remained inside of it and it inside of me. That being different didn't necessarily mean being disregarded. I went from being gutted about the cancellation of my wedding to daydreaming about dancing with Auntie Alina and my partner to Bangor and Britney Spears whenever we finally did get the chance to marry. I wrote the book in the hope that it would help others find peace. I hadn't entertained the possibility that it might do the same for me. Stories are a most wonderful and powerful tool. I have chosen to share this story because I have lost years of loving relationships through fear. And it strikes me now that we don't think often enough of the things that fear deprives us of. Perspective is the enemy of fear. And I hope that by sharing mine, you might take the opportunity to adjust yours. Fear, definition. Verb, to be afraid of someone or something as likely to be dangerous, painful, or harmful. 